We're going to turn now to our time to be together in God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, or turn in your bulletin and you'll see the text that is printed there for you. We're resuming our series this morning through the book of Ephesians, and we are on this passage that deals with marriage. You may recall a few weeks ago, I addressed the wives uh, in a message called, As to the Lord, Instructions on Submission of Wives. Uh, Today it's the men's turn, so I get to have my shot at them this morning. Some of you may wonder, well, how do I listen to this sermon if I'm not a husband? Like, how do I listen? What if I'm a single lady or single man? Well, uh, this sets before you the model that you're to be looking for, either to be if you desire to get married or if you're looking for a husband. It also shows you what uh, you should be praying for and looking for in the homes of this church, of this uh, fellowship, that uh, these are the kinds of men that we should be seeing raised up here and living here. And uh, so you, you need that. If you're single... Um, you don't have a husband, you need brothers in the Lord, uh, fathers in the Lord, and they need to be living this way, and if you need counsel, you need help, you need to be looking to them. But ultimately, all of this is to be modeling, is to be modeling the gospel. Because in giving these instructions, what we should really have our minds and hearts on, uh, ultimately, is not just a, the man or woman sitting next to us, or the one that we hope comes to us, but rather, we really need to be looking at Christ. And that's really what this passage ultimately does, is takes our minds back to Jesus once again. So uh, let me read this text to you and pray, and then we'll start digging in together. Ephesians uh, 5, I'll begin with verse 25 and go to the end of the chapter. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. God, our Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we are thankful as we sit before your word that you uh, have given us such clear instructions how you expect the Christian home, the Christian family, the Christian marriage to look. We pray as we look at these words, which are familiar to many of us, that your spirit would give us fresh insights and applications as we live before you, O God. For we ask and pray it in Christ our Lord. Amen. After the fall, 
to whom did God call? After the fall, to whom did God call? The Bible makes it pretty clear. In Genesis, we read, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? Though the Bible tells us it was Eve that was first deceived, not Adam. When God comes calling to confront this first couple, he calls for the man, for the one responsible. Because he had given man the duty to guard the garden, to cultivate the garden. Yes, the wife was to help him in that, but that was his primary duty. And when he let Satan come into that garden unchallenged and tempt Eve into disobedience, and then he followed right along, God is holding him responsible, and he asks the question, man, where are you? It's a question we need to ask this generation. Men, where are you? Where are you? So much, so much of the load of providing for the family, or caring for children, or offering leadership has fallen on women because the men have forsaken their calling. And this is happening not only in the home, but in the church and society at large as well. The rise of feminism in our day is directly proportional to the failure to provide biblical Christ-like masculinity to those around us. And it all begins in the home. It begins in the home. Elders of the church, when they're being raised up and we're supposed to look at what, what kind of men do we want for elders in the church, the, the scriptures say, look in their home. Look in their home. Because if they can't take care of their home, they're not going to be able to take care of the household of God. And when men take their role in the home seriously as leaders and protectors, then women are nurtured and cared for as well as the children that they produce. Servant leadership begins in the home, and it starts with a marital relationship. Men from the same Lord who visited the first couple in that garden, listen again to him this morning. Men, hear anew your responsibility to love your wife just like Christ loves us. Hear anew your responsibility to love your wife just as Christ has loved his church. And the way you can hear that by application is you can hear that submission in marriage is to be one, not demanded. You need to hear also that sacrificial love is a command, not emotion. And you need to hear the several duties that God gives to husbands and not wives. And when we can hear these things, if we can hear these things and respond to them appropriately, the world will see the gospel being lived out, the relationship between Christ and his bride being lived out in every Christian home in this congregation. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? People seeing the gospel being lived out in our homes. So men, first of all, hear that submission in marriage is to be one, not demanded. A few weeks ago, as we looked at the duty of wives to submit to their husbands, we talked about how many mistaken notions are taken from that text. 
and wrongly interpreted and wrongly applied in the, in the church and in the home, even in society. So often when we hear about submission, we think, well, that's just for women to do, not men. And we forget that men have many places in their lives where they're to be submitted. Men are to be submitted in the church, to the eldership of the church. They have to submit to, the, to their bosses out in society. There's lots of places where men have to submit. It's not, just a, it's not just a duty of women. Another mistaken notion that we looked at is some people take this text and make it sound like all women have to submit to all men. That's just crazy. That's just crazy. Because there's many places that uh, uh, women don't need to submit to men. Um, that's just, this is a singular command, a very narrow-focused command that in your home, if you're a wife, then you need to submit to your husband. And that's as far as the command is taking us because it's about marriage. And another erroneous notion that's often seen is that the men have to demand the submission. And they forget that the command is not to them. Husbands, make sure your wife submit. The command is to the wife. And that's what I want us to think about here for a moment as we consider this duty for men to love their wives. They have to get the submission thing right in their minds. It's interesting when Paul, in his letters, is addressing the two sexes, he usually starts with men and then addresses the women. For instance, over in 1 Timothy 3, he calls on men to pray for peace, and then he addresses the women's need for modesty and for godliness. But why does he address the women first here and then the men? Well, part of it has to do with the fact that that's the great command that he's expressing here is the idea of submission in totality in verse 21. He's saying we need to submit to one another. Let me tell you how to do this. And he starts with the wives. But there's something else going on here, I think. It's stylistic in nature. I mean, you sit there and you hear the apostle telling the wives that they need to submit and the guys are sitting next to them going, yeah, 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 give, him, give it to him, Paul. Give it to him. But then the focus turns to them. And whereas Paul took three verses to speak to the wives with one direct command regarding submission, he's now going to take nine verses with three direct commands to love to address the men because they need more help. And they need more addressing than the women do. He set them up, so to speak, to listen and to remind them that submission is to be one in marriage, not demanded. It's to be one in marriage, not demanded. Physically speaking, men are typically stronger. Their voices are deeper. They are made to initiate action. They are made to conquer resistance. But when we see in the news or in the neighborhood those men who think that by brutish force or loud, angry shouts or by power struggles, they are to put their women in their place. We should recognize them for what they are. Thugs. Thugs. They are abusing their position. They are abusing their power to try to get what they want. But friends, this doesn't happen only in the local news 
or with the non-Christians in your neighborhood. There is a horrible, horrible trend going on in the Reformed faith, in Reformed churches, where so many men act this way in the name of Jesus Christ. Where they do not treat their wives as God is commanding them to be treated here in this, in this call to love them. And we're going to talk about that, how that, what that love looks like. But where they are more concerned about keeping their wife in line and winning her, demanding her, I should say, her submission to him. That's not loving our wives like Christ does. Christ is our head, and yet he has not brought us into submission that way. How has he brought us into submission to him? He has changed through his spirit working in our hearts, our desires, so that we come willingly to the Lord, not by some kind of brutish, heavenly force. I mean, he could call angels, I guess, if he wanted, and hold us at heavenly sword points and try to convert us. And yet we wouldn't be one that way, truly, to love him. But what has he done? He's laid down his life for us. And we behold him there on that cross, and we see the depths of his love and his willingness to sacrifice for us. And our hearts are one to him. The church, my friend, is a voluntary association. You come here in your own power, in your own desires. That's why you should be here this morning. Because you want to be here, worshiping the Lord, following Jesus Christ. Our shepherd gently leads a willing people because the church is a voluntary society. And that's the way submission comes, my friends. If you want a wife that is desirous to submit to you, then you've got to live the life that's worthy of that submission. When God brought Adam to... Or I'm sorry, when God brought Eve to Adam, how did he bring her? How did he bring her? You know. He put Adam into that sleep and then performed the first operation where he opened Adam up. And where did he take the bone from? He didn't take it from the foot, as Matthew Henry points out, so that forever the, the man could keep the wife under foot. Nor did he take it from the head, where the wife would live always trying to usurp the power from the man, the position of the man. No, where did he take the bone from? Right from the side of Adam. Because that's where the wife should always be. Right by our side. Voluntarily. Desirous to be, yes, by her man. <laughs> by her man. That's where she needs to be that's where she should desire to be. So how do you win her there? How do you woo her to that position? Well, that's where the love comes in. Here not only that submission in marriage is to be one, not demanded, but here that sacrificial love is a command, not an emotion. When we are told to love, that is a 
a duty, a holy duty that God is giving to us as men. It's not whether we feel like it or not. It's a calling upon our lives. We're told to love God with all our hearts, with all our mind, with all our strength. We don't get the option to say, well, I don't feel like that today. Now we realize that's a, that's a duty that's upon us 24-7 all the time. We're supposed to be loving God in that kind of a manner. And in the same way, whether we feel like it or not, men are to love their wives. And again, it's repeated three times in verses 25, 28, and 33. And each time that Paul tells the husbands to love their wives, he he puts a modifier on it, so we, we know how or what manner in which we are to love. So if a man doesn't know, well, how do I love my wife? Well, it's right here. It's very clear. You've got to love, first of all, like Christ loved the church, verse 25. Hodge says it clearly. Christ so loved the church as to die for it. Husbands, therefore, should be willing to die for their wives. This should not take a degree to get, guys. It's pretty obvious. We're in bed at night. There's a noise downstairs. You don't grab the baseball bat or the pistol by your bedside or whatever you have and hand it to your wife and say, hey, it's your turn. Your call is to protect your wife all the time. All the time. To sacrifice your life for her, even if it requires giving it up, because that's what Jesus did for you. And those times where we think about, oh yeah, if there was a robber, I'd go get him. I'd, I'd, I'd show up. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes dying to yourself is a lot smaller but much more difficult. How about giving up a hobby for her? Or doing the dishes for her? Or making sure the house is in good repair? or that she has time to pursue some of her own interests, or taking the kids for time to give her a break, that can be often something that we don't want to do. For Mother's Day, Celia and I got Miriam a card. On front of the card, it's an old black and white picture. It's got a clothesline. There's this young boy still in his clothes, and he's pinned up horizontal there on the clothesline quite a humorous picture of this little kid just hanging by his clothes from the clothesline. You, you open it up and it says, I hope you can get a break away today. And I'm not actually advocating that, guys, as the way to give your wives a break. Um, but maybe taking them out of the house for a while so they can have some time for themselves as a way to show our love for them. When Jesus showed his love for us, verses 26 and 27, it says that he cleansed the bride, the church, by the washing of water with the word. He justified his people from their sins. It goes on to talk about that he's taking away these spots and these wrinkles. He's sanctifying his bride. And then it says that she's going to be presented one day to the Father. He, he is glorifying his bride. In other words, from start of this relationship to its consummation, the Lord takes care of his people. The Lord loves his people. 
And we need to make sure that our devotion to our wives is as thorough, is as thorough. From the moment that marriage is formed, that relationship has begun, we have just vowed a life of loving our wives like Christ loved the church. And from beginning to that day when we part, we are to be expressing that kind of love to her. Love like Christ loved the church. Also love like you love your own body. Verse 28. Um, it says in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. There's, there's a, two different ways to really think about this text. You could think of it this way. Well, love your wife like you love yourself. So you, you feed yourself, feed your wife. You clothe yourself, clothe your wife. You take care of your health, take care of your wife's health. Certainly there's some truth to that. But I think there's a more profound meaning that Paul has here. It gets to this mystical thing that he's talking about, this mystery that's so profound. When it says to love your wife um, as their own bodies, I don't think it's in the sense to love your wife as you love your own physical body, but as in the sense that she is your body to love. You have become one. And you can't do anything anymore without thinking of her. There's not a decision you make, not a thing you do that does not affect her now. And so you have to live in that union with her constantly, constantly. Paul reminds us in Corinthians that we don't have authority over our own bodies, but our spouse does. And then as he talks here in verses 29 through 32, he's talking about uh, the two shall become one, verse 31. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church, that there's such a union between a husband and wife that it's the God-given picture in this world to make us think of what it means for Christ to be our head and we are his body. Everything he has done was done for us. Everything you do is to be done with your wife in mind. That's why when a guy decides to divorce or to visit a prostitute or in the part of the world that we were praying for this morning, South Sudan uh, practiced polygamy. One of the great problems that happened in the church is after the first round of missionaries left, some of the indigenous leaders immediately took another wife, showing not only do they not understand marriage, but they don't understand the church. Because Jesus only has one bride, and so we're to only have one bride that we're devoted to through our whole lives. That's why these men had to be removed from leadership, because they don't understand the gospel. We have to show our understanding of the gospel by the way that we lay down our lives for our wives. Because you have to love, not just like Christ loved, or love like she's your own body, but you have to love like you love yourself. 
Um, verse 33, you are so, in, so woven together, so woven together in love, you cannot do anything without considering its impact upon your wife. You can try. A lot of men try. <laughs> a lot of men try. But there's always the price to pay. The conflict and division that arises in a household when a man in his selfishness isn't thinking about how he should be pursuing his wife. It's a vain pursuit to try to seek the pleasures of this world, whatever form they present themselves to us, guys. Whatever form they present themselves to us and pursue them in separation from our wives. You might have a little fun for a little time, but it's not going to be lasting because you've got to go back home. So we have to always be thinking about our wives. So let's get a little even more specific about it. I'm going to give you several duties that are given to the husbands, not the wives. As the peculiar duty of the wife is submission, the special duty of the husband is love. Here are some very practical ways to show this love to your wives, beyond what we've already mentioned. First of all, lead your wife gently. Lead your wife gently. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, is gentleness. And just as the Lord has shown his tender mercies to his people, we are to show tender mercies to our wives. It's appropriate for a man to open the door for his wife, to walk beside her rather than running ahead of her, to pull back her chair when she's getting ready to sit at the table, to act like a gentleman at all times with her, to not raise the voice and anger in order to get your way. To discuss the finances of the home without either being defensive or tyrannical as you do so. To be patient, to explain, to pursue rather than demand. To use your strength, but always with her best interests in mind. You've got to lead your wife gently. You also have to sacrifice your interests willingly. I have seen men, uh, husbands, give more time to a hobby than they do their wives. And it's a shame. It's a shame. The imagery in the scripture of a wife, so often portrayed by the prophets, is that of a vine. And if you've done any gardening at all, you know, if you don't tend to it, it will wither. The weeds, the bugs, everything else will come and cause that vine to wither and it will not be the fruitful vine that it's to be. And so it is that men have to sacrifice their interests for the sake of their wives in order to cultivate and to nurture her. Another specific duty is to pursue her holiness earnestly. In comparing the love of a husband for his wife to the love of Christ for his church, it is mentioned here the sanctifying work that the Lord does in verse 26 as he washes us with his word. And the husband's to take the lead in this, to make sure 
that his wife, his family is cultivated in the word of God, that they're in church, that they're learning, they're growing, they're being led in the scriptures at home and family worship to pray with his wife, to encourage her fellowship with other godly women in the church so that she can continue to grow in holiness even as we are called to do. Another specific duty. You must cherish her body enduringly. Now, on honeymoon night, that's an easy command to fulfill. And it should be. A young husband learns to delight in his wife. But as the years roll on, as age has its impact, childbearing as well, it's even more important for men to cherish and nourish their wife's bodies for all the sacrifices they've made. I think sometimes it would be good for young husbands to go to a nursing home, visit an elderly couple, and just think for a little bit about the trajectory of your marriage and realize your high calling to care and love for your wife deeply even when her body is not as available to you as it may now be. Recall Dr. and Mrs. Wright. Dr. Wright was a professor at the seminary, a wonderful, wonderful role model, mentor to me. And they were at the RP home for the aged. They had lived together for 64 years at this point. But one of them, uh, uh, Dr. Wright, contracted pneumonia and they had to be separated for a period of time. And I remember talking to him. And rather than feeling sorry for himself or anything else, he just kept saying, I, I, I want to get better so I can get back to Maureen and make sure she's taken care of. That's the spirit we're to have. They're always together, always one, from the beginning until the end of this marriage when God takes one of us home. And to that end, then, you have to protect your marriage steadfastly. As we say when a wedding is performed, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I think about that so often, that the one often separating that marriage is the husband himself, by his actions and by other pursuits. And what is judgment day going to look like for a man who has done that? So we have to fight for our marriages, work hard in our marriages, take correction for our marriages so that we can work and, and that they endure, so that we can fulfill what we've vowed to do until death do us part. That's the only thing that can separate us, is death. When we're living this way, we're acting out this way, in our homes, our wives, our wives will be one to follow men who are leading this way. And if we live this way, you know, it's not just only going out and knocking on doors, trying to share the gospel that way, or just having people come to church and hope they hear the gospel in this means. It's just living before them and showing them a difference from all the chaos that's being experienced out there in our culture. 
The gospel is to be seen. And one of the glorious places it's seen is in a Christian marriage. May God bless us to that end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we pray this morning that you would bless us in our homes, that you in particular would help us as husbands to love our wives like we ought. And Lord, as we've heard these words and these duties this morning, there's not a one of us here who feels like we have arrived. We all see our failings, O Father, before you. So we pray for your forgiveness and further sanctifying graces that we might love like you do. Bless us to that end, Father, we ask and pray through Christ. Amen.